You are listening to The Essentials Podcast, episode number three, recorded live June 17th, 2013. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to live chat June 17th here. We're in uh, in my basement. I'm uh, Rich, pastor at King of Glory, joined tonight by uh, Derek Hackett. I'm Paul Anderson. It's good to have you with you. We are pumped that you're with us tonight. We're going to get into some good conversation tonight about something that we usually don't talk about or don't enjoy talking about, but uh, talking about the reality of life. But before we get to that thing, we've got a birthday in the house, so we need yes, to we ce- do. celebrate the birthday that we have here tonight. And uh, we don't we won't go through ages or anything like that. But on behalf of the Essentials Live backstage <laughs> crew, we've got a gift here. For the birthday boy here. Oh, so you shouldn't have. Hopefully this gets him through the night. Thing of all of the necessities. Oh, uh, yes. They have, so. Hmm. No. I've got some Mountain Dew and peanut butter M&M's, so his productivity should be flying this week. And peanut butters. This will last me a whole week. <laughs> Good. So we're excited tonight, Derek. Uh, Derek is going to facilitate our conversation <laughs> this week as we enter into conversation about sin, about the fall about our brokenness, and again, as always, I invite you to join in on the right side of your screen, ask questions about anything and everything, and uh, we'll do our best to ask them. So tonight, um, we will be talking about the fall, and so last week on Sunday morning, which you can, if you didn't get a chance to listen to the sermon, you can review it on the sermons page here on the King of Glory website, but Rich came up to the pulpit and he talked a little bit about the fall from a biblical perspective. Richard, can you give us a little bit of an overview or the thesis of what your statement was on Sunday to get us rolling tonight? Yeah, uh, yesterday's uh, non-negotiable main message was that all of humanity is or was under the power and guilt of sin. Main message being is that scripture has got a serious indictment against every human being, that we are at odds with God, which means that our relationship with God is broken because of our wrongdoing. Therefore, we stand guilty before before God, and uh, we live lives of rebellion, basically, against God. But all of humanity, every human being, um, even the Jews, those who were chosen by God, uh, Scripture declares they are sinful, uh, in need of um, forgiveness before God. So I, I think in, in for us who are Christians, it's a pretty common theme. We hear about this, you know, sin and the fall, uh, you know, every Sunday. But in, in your perspective, Paul, maybe, why... Is the fall considered an essential, and why is it important for us to understand that as part of the gospel message? What makes it what makes that important for us to understand? Mm-hmm. Well, I would say the gospel is about redemption. Um, it's about God's salvation, and the key there is that if there's salvation, that means God is saving us from something, and in this case, He's saving us from sin. So the fall is it's a critical element there because it's it's where the whole story starts. And, you know, again, the fall indicating that's where sin entered the world, I guess you'd say, where sin first became this major issue, building this uh, barrier between us and God. So it's where the whole thing starts. And I would say it's absolutely critical to, to understand the fall and understand sin in general, because without that, we can't understand God's grace and his salvation and the whole thing that he's working out you know, throughout history and, and into its its ultimate end point. So, yeah, it's a major player for sure. Yeah, I'm going to have to have everybody excuse me for a minute here. 
<laughs> got a little Kit Kat chocolate <laughs> index finger from the pregame meal. Thanks. So we've just been enjoying, enjoying some snacks here, so I apologize for the probably isn't video appropriate thing. If you're listening to podcasts right now, you have no idea. We just had some chocolate on the fingers. I had to remove. But uh, one, I just had a thing. Um, somebody could come up. I've heard it told before. I think someone comes up and says to you, Hey, you're free today. You're, and you kind of look at them and go, What do you mean am I? F- of course I'm free today. Thing. The message of freedom only makes sense if you're in slavery or you're in jail. If you have someone who's say you're free today without knowing that first they're slavery or that they're um, bound by something, that message of freedom doesn't mean anything. So I would argue, actually, one of the reasons that the message of Jesus is just falling on deaf ears is because people, what do I need to be saved from? What Jesus forgiveness? Forgiveness? What do I need to be forgiven for? Yeah, I, you're, you're, I think you're hitting it right on. Um, one thing I think we should flush out or non-negotiable for this week, like Rich said, was the fact that all of us is or was fallen. We're all part of this sin nature. I think one of the things we encounter in culture a lot is, is that a true statement? Like, where do we get and how do we get from Scripture that we truly all are fallen? Not just, because I mean, I see a lot of good people in society. I mean, I don't walk around and, and the people in the office and the people walking on the street, they don't, they don't look fallen. I mean, they, they're not going around stealing. They're not going around, you know, kicking dogs or whatever they're doing. <laughs> they're going around and they're living their life what would seem to be the the American dream and can you give us some details why truly are what does scripture say and how do we know that everybody truly has fallen and in need of a savior I guess would be the yeah. corollary to that I'll start by saying uh, we see in Romans 5 for example Paul writes that uh, sin entered the world through one man Adam and as Adam sinned we all sinned and we're all under the sense of death. And this gets into the, one of these theological things that it gets a little messy. It gets you know, hard to wrap our minds around. But I think it does say it plainly there that all of humanity, whether we consider them good people or not, are under this sentence, you might say, um, in this, under this condition of sin that, that came to the world uh, through Adam and that was passed on through us. So we're going to say that someone's good, I think what we're doing there is we're evaluating them based on some type of a moral standard that the world has set. You know, and it, it might be kind of a relative scale. This person's better than another is better than another, but, but we're not looking at that necessarily from a biblical standpoint or from what, you know, from really a sin standpoint in that, you know, a person considered good by the world standards can still be prideful and you know, sinning in relationship to God. So I would start by by responding that way. Yeah, it all comes down to, basically, I hate to uh, attack the question, but there's an assumption in the question, and there's an assumption in everybody's when they ask this question. And the assumption is, what is good? Yeah. Everybody defines a good person in a different way. If I, I, if I said to you today, I walk around town, I don't see any good people at all. You'd go... <laughs> Oh, stop. You're over-exaggerating. Then I'd say to you, okay, define good for me. And you're going to define good by your standards. And so the question is, how do we define good? Then if we define good by the standards in Scripture, what we call is God's law, which reveals to us God's heart for how we live and how he desires things to go, then we would say there are no good people. 
that all have fallen short of that standard that God has set. But a lot it goes back to how do we define good? Yeah, and I think that you're leading, you're sort of leading into our next discussion here is that that is the problem, right? Because if I if I make the statement that I'm good or, or my neighbor's good, I'm basing that on a standard. And, and that's exactly the thing. And, and what we end up doing and what Paul's alluding to and what we talked about last week is that we manipulate our understanding instead of God's understanding. And so as soon as we transform ourselves and we say, okay, well, what's God's standard for good? We can start to see that humanity truly has fallen. And so if I were to ask you guys, what if I want to know what God's standard of good is? Where, where do I look? What do I do? You know, I feel like I'm a good guy. I want to be able to read and understand where I'm fallen and why I, or I can talk to my neighbor, why they need a savior. Where can I find that? What do I look at? We always start through God's law and find God's law in the Bible that he's spoken to us, his word. And so first place he's in Ten Commandments. God reveals um, what he designs for people. and But ultimately where we see God's law is in the person of Jesus Christ. So Jesus, as we read in the scriptures, completely fulfilled God's law, which means he lived out God's desires perfectly. And so if we want to know exactly what God desires from us as human beings, we need to look to the person of Jesus and to the teachings of Jesus. And so you could go through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, go through other teachings of Jesus and see if you understand there. But we need to help put that in ways that people uh, under understand. Mm-hmm. I think in look at a broader sense, one thing that someone's maybe going to respond to that, and they're going to say, well, Jesus didn't address every single situation yep. that we're going to encounter day to day. Um, so there's there's something there, too, that it's important that we, we can understand this broader idea of living a life that's in submission to God, where, you know, Jesus is the Lord of our life in every single aspect, and therefore we're trying to honor Him, glorify Him in everything that we do. It starts from that attitude. I would say that a heart that's turned towards God and everything we do. And again, we're not going to get into these details of knowing exactly how to how to act in every situation. But it's it's an idea of kind of magnifying the Lord rather than ourselves and working, kind of starting from that starting point. Um, we try to live our lives, you know, kind of. <laughs> helps how we live our lives or how we're going to respond to to the more detailed situations day to day. And it's actually popular. I mean, I think we'd all agree that it's actually popular to say that you're imperfect. Mm-hmm. It's, Especially in the, in the Christian in world, the, right? In the, no, not even the, in the outside of the Christian world as well. Yeah. You'd be really unpopular if you showed up at work tomorrow and you said, hey, I'm perfect. I've never done anything wrong. Mm-hmm. Come on, everybody just look at me. I'm. Everybody goes like, no... I'm not perfect because actually, it's like culturally popular to say, mm-hmm. "Oh no, hey, we're no one's perfect." So therefore, since no one's perfect, why are you putting down the way someone else is behaving or what else mm-hmm. someone else is doing? Because no one's perfect. Yeah. So we all agree that no one's not perfect. The problem is we don't agree on the consequences of that imperfection. Mm-hmm. We don't agree on that the that imperfection is offending a holy God. I think that's where the difference is at, is that we would all, everybody in this neighborhood agree that they're imperfect tonight. The question is, do they agree that their imperfections are actually an offense to the creator of the universe? And I have to look at my own life and say, I know that I continue to do things that are wrong when I don't recognize the magnitude of what I'm doing is wrong thing. When I don't recognize that, hey, the way that I actually am treating my wife today, or the way that I'm treating my daughter today, or how I'm acting in this committee meeting, is sometimes an offense to God. Mm-hmm. And that changes your perspective in a hurry. At least changes my perspective in a hurry is that I, I need to remember what it, 
why that imperfection is, what the big deal is about it. And so as we follow this sort of standard, you know, culture today has a sliding standard. So like you were talking about, you know, I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. Let's have no standard. Let's just all be unperfect. And then you bring about the consequence when we affront the standard which God has given us. There's a big consequence to that. So are, you, so are you telling me, as a person who's trying to follow what God has for me, that all I need to do is know everything that God has told me to do, and then I can just step in and follow it all? Because, you know, is it something that I can do? You know, if I know the consequence and I know the rules, shouldn't I just be able to follow it all? Would that be how I should live my life as a Christian? Is that the essential we're getting at? Yeah. I think it's pretty... Uh common for for people to think that way you know even um, regular churchgoers and those that are you know longtime christians they get it's easy to get caught up in that kind of a legalist mindset um, where we think that you know i just need to be a better person i need to do this better here are the things i'm i'm struggling with i just i gotta try to do better at that at that i think that that is part of the christian life you know that we we try to sin less in some ways, but it's all, again, in the attitude of that. And it's not that we are earning any merit with God by sinning less. Because, um, you know, we've already, the relationship has already been broken with the sin that's occurred. So that nothing's going to be restored by our future actions. Um, but I think understanding that, understanding that we, we can't please God in that way, that we can't just see those rules and follow them, you know, again, that's what brings us into this understanding of, of the grace of God and, and what it means to, you know, that God's love and mercy has saved us from that. And, could, you know, we can't dig ourselves out of that hole, I guess. What I'm trying to say in relation to your question is that list of rules Maybe we can keep some of them, but we can't keep all of them. That puts us in under the sentence, like Rich mentioned in his um, in his uh, sermon yesterday, that you know we're standing under this this sentence that is serious business, and that is uh, we're condemned for our sin. Essentially, the wrath of God is upon that sin, and what's gonna you know what's gonna save us from that? Another way of looking at it is not so much in the legal context. Legally speaking, if I do wrong and I stand before a good judge, what's that judge going to do? Punish the wrongdoing. But I think we need to take a step back and say, okay, let's not look at it from a legal context, but let's look at it from a relational context. So, for example, let's say I wake up tonight in the middle of the night and I stub my toe on the floor because my wife has left her shoes everywhere in the bedroom. Does this happen a lot? I'm not saying saying what happens or not happens. But let's say I stub my shoe on, I mean my foot on my wife, my wife has very few shoes, but let's pretend for a moment that she had a lot of shoes that were laying on the bedroom floor. So I stub my toe in the middle of the night and I'm thinking, oh, why don't you put your shoes away thing? Mm -hmm. Well, what happened there is her leaving her shoes out thing and then me stubbing my toe, what happens there is it's not that it's just I'm holding something against her. It affects our relationship. Mm-hmm. Her leaving her shoes out now, it kind of it, it breaks the relationship a little bit. The way the next morning when she gets up, there's going to be a little bit of oddity. We're going to be at, kind of at odds with one another. I'm upset about the, what, what she's done, so I'm even going to ignore her a little bit. So that, that action, actually, the damage is in the relationship. Same is true with God. The Bible uses languages like light and darkness. The Bible describes God as completely light. And in him there can be no darkness. And so when we walk in darkness or we do things that are against the revealed will of God, 
what we're doing is we're breaking ourselves off of that relationship with God because God is light. He can have nothing to do with darkness. And so I like to look at it as in a relational context that the big deal about our wrongdoing is that it's breaking relationship with God. It's putting us at odds with God. We're kind of like uh, saying enmity. En- Help me. That was right. Enmity yeah. between. <laughs> is that the right word? Yeah, sorry. That's word. it. Thank okay, you. I'm not sure. E N M I T Y. Enmity thing between God and us. In other words, the biggest thing is to put it simply for you. Like a motorcycle. Yes. We're basically, <laughs> our wrongdoing puts us uh, as enemies of God. And no, we don't think about this very often, but Romans chapter 5 actually says that we were enemies of God because of our wrongdoing. And, and that's a big deal. I, I, I think that as we move through the essentials, a lot of the essentials tie together. And that if we truly believe that God is the creator of the universe then being at odds with the creator of the universe is one heck of a problem to overcome. Mm-hmm. Because it, that, that, that understanding is so much outside of the human mind to grasp that the creator of the universe, that we're at odds with him. Let's bring up a good point there that all these essentials build on top of each other. Yep. So last week, remember, the essential was God created humanity, every human being in his image. Yep. Well, sin... We're no longer reflecting the image of God thing. Um, and so now there's brokenness in the world. And then next week we're going to look at, okay, we were created in God's image. We've broken God's image. Next week the question then is, what's the fix? How does this get restored? But that's looking ahead a little bit anyhow. Yeah, and, and that's the beauty, right? That, this, that it's one God's story, one God's plan, yeah. all of God's essentials. So as, as we look at this a, l- a little deeper, as we get a little more understanding, we sort, of, we sort of hit on a few different things. We talked about the law. One of the interesting sections in the book is that a lot, of, a lot of Christians today, when we talk about the fall, I think truly have a wrong understanding of the law. They either look at the law as these hard-set do-nots, and they feel so bad in themselves whenever they don't reach it, or they see them as this list of don't-matters because crisis came and they don't matter. Can someone break down for me the true three purposes that Packard gives us in the book of what are we, how are we to view these laws now in relationship to the fall and in relationship to how we live in, in a redeemed world? Jump in here, Mr. Anderson. <laughs> I don't know that I have um, point by point. I'm sorry to answer your question. Um, I would probably have to take a peek for that. Well, we're, we're working Maybe on page, can, uh, page 94 in the book. Page uh-huh. 94 in the book, if you got it with you. That's good. We'll look at it together. <laughs> One of the things that... I even have them numbered. So. Why don't you go ahead? Okay. Um, well, I'm just going to give a little quick summary here for those that don't have a book with them. Um, the law is a is a mirror, mirror reflecting to us both the perfect righteousness of God and our own sinfulness and shortcomings. Um, second function is to restrain evil. His third function is to guide the regenerate into the good works that God has planned for them. And this is, let's, I want to emphasize, this is a Packer's opinion, and or I shouldn't say his opinion, but his way of describing mm-hmm. what the Bible teaches the law does. And so, first thing the law does is it reveals God's will for creation, it's like it's just a mirror of who God is mm-hmm. thing. And uh, sometimes what we do is Derek here in the head. We look at the law as this list of do's and don'ts, and and so therefore sometimes we don't like the law. Uh, we think the law is only here to show us that we're bad. Uh, we should actually love the law. Psalm one nineteen. If you ever want to read a long psalm, Psalm one nineteen <laughs> describes the psalmist loves the law, and he says at one point in there, it's through the law that he finds freedom, and it's in the law that he delights. We should love the law because the law reveals God's desires. 
Secondly, as Paul said, the law is, shows us that we're sinners. I don't know that I've done wrong until someone points out my wrongdoing, mm-hmm. and the law reveals that wrongdoing. Comments? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have to do with that. I think that um, one thing, I think it's hard for us to see this sometimes because we think of, we have some of these selfish desires to that lead us to break the law, and these are things that we, because our heart is kind of twisted and our desires are twisted by sin, these are some things that we're seeking after because we think they're going to bring us satisfaction and enjoyment. Um, but I think what's the grace in the law is that <laughs> this is God saying, if you if you live this way, if you obey this law, then you find you know peace, satisfaction, um, freedom on this earth. So, you know, if you're going to pull out any of the um, Ten Commandments, for instance, um, take coveting, for example. Well, what God is saying there is if if you're coveting, if you're living this life that's wrapped up in in envy and jealousy of one another, that is not a life of peace and of contentment. It's, you know, so by obeying that law, that, that brings the joy that God intends for us to have while we live on this earth. Um, so, you know, I'd say there's joy and there's peace in the law, even though we do struggle, of course, to, to abide by it. Um, One of the common questions becomes in this third thing, is there, this is just a phrase that church people use, church leaders use, is there a third use of the law? So the first use of the (laughs) law is to reveal God's will. Second use is to show us our sin. The question then is, does it have a third use in that after someone becomes a Christian, is the law kind of like a set of railroad tracks to guide someone and how they live. I would argue that, well, <laughs> that's the first use of the law. The first mm-hmm. use of the law reveals God's heart for for creation. It's meant to kind of set order in the world. Um, so whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, God's law directs how he wants his, his people and his creation to live. Thing. The difference is this, is the law was never given to save us. And that's where we get in trouble is when we take the law to be a ladder to achieve God. I think Exodus chapter 20, everybody's heard this story of the Ten Commandments, basically. But what we often forget is the Ten Commandments were not given, and then if the people obeyed them, they'd be freed from slavery. God already freed them from slavery. God already declared them his own people, and then he gave them the law. So it's not like God said, hey, obey these laws, and then I'll free you from slavery. No, he's, mm-hmm. he says, Exodus 20, he says, Verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So he's already declaring what he's done for them, and now he's going into the law. Yeah, I, I think that's a great, um, a great overview of, of one of the more common misconceptions when we talk about the fall. We're going to cover one more misconception, and then we're going to wrap it up with a real practical thought from each of you guys. So the other one that I wanted to bring up that I think a lot of people always ask is, if I've never... If I'm incapable or I've never broken the law or I have no way to break the law, how am I then declared a sinner? I think page 83 of the book, um, there's, a, there's a nice line J.I. Packer puts in there. He says, the assertion of original sin makes the point that we are not sinners because we sin, but rather we sin because we are sinners born with an innate, a nature enslaved to sin. And I think that's it's hard for a lot of people in the world to understand. Mm-hmm. I only have a couple minutes left, but can you briefly comment a little bit on the concept of what about in this world when there are people inabilities and things who don't have the capacity or the nature to choose to sin are do they still need a savior mm-hmm. another example that be do do babies still need a savior do 
you know, people who are of unmental capacity in order to sin, do they need a savior? I think, I think that this is a commonly stumbling block in culture today to the message of the fallen is that there are people who are unable to consciously choose to sin. And so what makes them in need of a savior? My response to that would be, and I mean, we could go probably on and on about this and get into it pretty deep. Um, I go back to this idea of, of original sin, sin entering the world through Adam, in that Adam was merely the first human, I guess, that got mixed up in this. I, I think that, that that's within each, each human. And so, um, you know, the condition, the condition that we're in, I think, it's such a difficult argument if you're going to get into, okay, when does someone have the capability to sin? We, we never know. We never know the heart of even an adult person. We don't know at what point in life someone can consciously sin and that type of thing. So I go back to, to Scripture and I say there's a, there's a little bit of difficulty there in, in completely understanding it, but I think Scripture makes it clear that we're all under that condition and, you know, therefore a, a biblical understanding regardless of what some people think, and they think, you know, so-and-so is not capable of saying that type of thing, I just think you have to go back to Scripture and you have to say that we're all under this condition and that humans do sin. I, I think that's the only way I can explain it, probably. The fact that we sin comes from the fact that we have a sinful condition. In other words, mm-hmm. we're born with an orientation with our backs against God. Mm-hmm. So we're born turned away from God thing and until the holy spirit regenerates us which means basically until the holy spirit through god's spoken word uh, turns us to faith in jesus christ and then we're facing god can we begin to obey god and live after him what we're born in such a condition that our backs are turned against god is what scripture reveals ephesians chapter 2 talks about everyone uh, is dead in their trespasses romans chapter 5 that we've talked a lot about tonight talks about how sin came from one man adam passed down generation to generation Uh, there's some mystery here What's been revealed is the fact that all of humanity uh, falls under the guilt of sin. And one of the arguments is, well, if I didn't have a choice, um, how can I be blamed for it? Well, my response to that is this. <laughs> okay, think. Go ahead and choose. Go ahead and choose. What happens is every time we choose, we choose turn our backs on, on, on God. And so um, we're just born with, we're born with that condition. But thanks be to God that he regenerates us and brings us to faith in him. There's a lot of mystery in that. And yeah. the terms like original sin, uh, total depravity, those are terms that church leaders use to describe teaching in Scripture. Thing. Yeah. So I think I'd be careful not to get hooked up on this thing, but just they're terms we're using to help try to describe something that the Bible teaches. I think we can at least acknowledge that that is an extremely difficult point, you know, when talking with a, a non-believer or, or even a believer that, that's struggling with that type of thing. Um, to some extent, we just have to concede the point. It, it's, it's difficult, that notion to say that we're born under sin, you know, this idea that we have no choice to some extent. I think all we can do is just state that's how it is. We, that's as far as we can go with it. But, of course, turning, this, turning the conversation then back to, you know, we have a Savior, you know, that's come to, to redeem us from this mess, and that's where the good news is. I think that... Oh, yeah. has to be our story. Yep, that's yeah. definitely true. And I, I think it's hard for society today to understand that we are not titled by our actions, but yeah. we are titled, which causes us to actions. Yeah. Basically saying, mm-hmm. we're born sinners, that's why we sin. We're not sinners because we sin. 
tough concept to grasp. So, mm-hmm. so wrapping up our chat for today, during the sermon, we've been giving a lot of PATs, practical applications for today. And so tonight, we've, I'll review here, we have three practical applications for this week. A couple things that we, in here in our time and in our place, can take the non-negotiable and put it into action in our lives. The first one is confess to one another. James 5 says, confess your sins to brothers and sisters so that you can be healed. Um, it's one thing to confess them to God in private, but in order to get healed of a lot of the struggles in this world, it's a great for us to be able to confess and have other people pray and heal and talk through us through these issues. The second one is deal with the root of the issue, um, self-centeredness. You know, one of the things we said in the sermon is that we exchange God for self-centeredness. We make our own idols and our own actions. The third one is is that we should boast in Christ and not in our own actions. Um, one thing I think that's really hard for people today, and I'd like to get your guys' perspective from a very practical sense in your lives, how do you guys identify the root issue and the sins in your life? Because a lot of times it's really easy to say, you know, I, I shouldn't have stole that Kit Kat bar from Richard's fridge before the chat. But, <laughs> no, you <should. laughs> I kind of like my Kit Kat bars. Exactly. So I shouldn't have done that, but that's not the root issue. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, there's a different desire for me to take that candy bar. In your guys' life, what strategies or what ways, or maybe you could give an example of somewhere in your life where you've really had to identify that root issue, talk to some people, pray over it, and, and really find healing and restoration in that so that our viewers can sort of see how that's supposed to work in their practical lives. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, to me, and you kind of alluded to this already, the the root really is pride. And so it's it's us deciding for ourselves what we think is best or us saying, you know, we can do it this way. You know, we want to do it this way. We will do it this way versus what God intends for us. Um, so the root is pride. And so I, what I would say as a practical matter is um, trying to identify areas in our life where we are prideful. In other words, where we're not in full submission to God necessarily, um, because I think, you know, we all have certain things that, w- that we struggle with, and, you know, I think when we're really honest with ourselves, when we when we name that sin that we're struggling with, um, there's that, that confession aspect is big in and of itself, um, but I think we identify something where we're saying, here's an area where I'm not in full submission to God. Um, somehow I'm kind of trying to hang on to this sin. I'm trying to overcome it myself. Um, you know, I'm just not doing everything I need to. I'm not attacking it with prayer. I'm not asking God to do whatever needs to be done to tear me away from this, this type of thing. So I, I think it's, you know, I guess that's what, that's what I would offer is, is to find that, that sin and, and to ask, am I in full submission to God in this area of my life? Am I... Am I confessing it to others? Am I confessing it to God, first of all? Am I taking these measures that are going to try to break me away from this sin and come under that, you know, come under God's authority in that area of my life completely? I think to bring it down to maybe a little bit simpler, this may seem uh, just oversimplified, but there's a powerful thing to ask why. So, for example... Um, if I lie, um, one of my struggles is if I look back and said, okay, why did I lie? I most likely lied because I wanted to impress people. Or, one step further, I lied because what? I didn't want them to disapprove of me. So, um, if I'm willing to ask myself the question, well, why did I lie at that presentation? Well, that's because I was trying to impress people. Or I didn't want people to dislike me. So, when I ask the why question... 
Now all of a sudden I find out the why was approval slash acceptance. Okay, now I know what's functioning as my king at that time. And it's something besides God. I've made the exchange that we talked about yesterday myself for God. But you can ask the why in everything. So for example, I can say, why am I treating my coworker this way? Thing and then find and you know just think about it. Why why are you? Or talk with someone and help them to kind of walk through that something's functioning as your king at that very moment, determining why you're doing that. That's what you really have to. So again, just ask why and work at it. And at the end of the day, something else besides God is functioning as your king. For me, a lot of times is it's acceptance, it's approval, um, it's personal personal honor rather than the honor of God. Yeah, and and I think that 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 covers a lot of us in that, in that sin of pride, and and I appreciate that. But that sort of wraps up the fall. If you have any questions, um, continue to throw them up here. Um, coming here in the future, we've got a couple exciting things going on here. We're gonna we're gonna be introducing a little bit of a contest next week. So yep. so get your guys ready. We're we have a couple ideas for some ways to get involved and, and get excited. So be ready for a prize to come. You're not giving my gift away. We're not giving away. We're not giving away Paul's gifts, so but we are going to be giving away some prizes in the coming weeks to, yep. <laughs> to drive, uh, to drive participation. So get ready for an opportunity to take home some goodies. Also, um, Paula Palooza continues through Friday. So if you have any gifts or anything you want to bring over to his house for his birthday week, he doesn't just celebrate Friday. One day. He's a week guy. Yep, week long celebrations. He's got balloons and cake all over well, the house. He was, so. he was in Vegas all weekend, so that's why he wasn't able to be with us yesterday. Yep, celebrating comes, it up, living it up. Back in from Vegas. Be a bad so. name. That's not, true. So. not true. So that's exciting. Uh, we loved having you with us today. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. We hope that it was uh, beneficial for you. Would really encourage you uh, pick up and look at some of the scriptures we mentioned tonight. Maybe review some of the chapters from the Packer book. If you don't have a book, send us an email, and we'll buy you a book. Thing if you don't have one, let us know. We'll get one in your hands. So hope you have a great week. Good night. Good night.